Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I, I just... <clears throat> I wanted to clarify one little thing that Pastor Linda said. Um, well, she said I was the, the brother of her brother and, and Louise's brother. I'm the younger brother of the... <laughs> I'm sure we ever get the order straight, right? So, listen, um, this is us, huh? City on the Hill. Here you are today. It's a gray morning. And um, I think some of you are pretty gray today. A little bit down. You're not so sure about yourself. I'm not so sure about my walk this week. The sky is gray. I feel gray. Um, you know Robert Browning's uh, poem? At the end, he says, God's in his heavens and all is right with the world. Now, you may look at North Korea and Moscow and Washington, D.C. and say, wait a minute, it isn't. But in fact, it actually is because things are going along the way he wants it to go. And so if you feel bad, you didn't enter into worship, you're not really sure, I'm not, I'm not feeling very well, I want you to just relax and listen. Um, because I'm going to be a little bit outside of the box today in what I'm speaking about. And um, if, you're, if you're a little bit undistressed, because I, I kind of feel that a little bit in here, maybe it's just me, um, A.W. Tozer, fantastic man of God, said, when I real, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, when I realize that everything, I mean everything that happens to me, is God making me more like him, more like Christ. And he said that takes a great deal of uh, frustration and aggravation away. If we can realize everything that happens, the bad things, the good things, I'm going to be talking about a person who went through some very difficult times in, in, in her life. Um, and all those things, she, she, she said, made her closer to Christ. Did you know that this month was International Women's Day? Did we know that this March 8th? Now, I want to say something very quickly. The political right and the political left grab onto these things and they hang all kinds of stuff on it, right? So let's push that all aside, right? And let's just say, I want to say one thing for this morning. This is an International Women's Day sermon. Because I'm going to give you some history about women in the church that you probably didn't know. Some women that you didn't even hear about before today. And one particular woman who took over a, a particular country in Europe almost by herself. The Pope and the King of France had no idea what to do with this lady because she completely loved God and God completely loved her. Um, and if you're asking, why is there a man up here speaking about it? I don't know, but... Um, You'll have to ask him because he led me in this direction, right? The famous quote, I think I've said this once before, Billy Graham uh, was speaking somewhere and he, you know, this church, he went to some big city in the Midwest and it was raining every night. It was an open air arena. You know, the, the press always liked to needle Billy. And they said, Billy, what? it's raining every night. It wasn't just misting. It was pouring. And they said, so God led you here for three nights and it's been pouring? Why, why would God do that? And Billy Graham said, I don't know, but I'm just sales. You'll have to talk directly to management about that. <laughs> Good old Billy, huh? Always with the great answers. You know, I have a target audience today, and it's women. Um, and it's particularly the, the women who are just sort of starting out in life. Um, because I want you to know, here's my own personal opinion, and, and I think, you've been whitewashed out of history, right? Two things about history that we learned over the years. One, it's written by the winners. Two, it's written by men up until recently. And a lot of women have been kind of 
you've been brushed aside. And so I want to talk about some women um, as, as, we go, as we go through the sermon. And my, 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 my um, desire, my heart's prayer today is I'm going to talk about a, 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 some women, a particular one, but I want you to see Jesus in it. You know what I mean? I, don't, I want you to talk about her. I want you to see the power of Christ, what he did in this person, and how through that person, as I said, who was totally sold out to him, and, and totally let God love her, that she changed. Listen, she changed history. You haven't heard about it probably, but she changed history. And my, I want to inspire a couple of you, maybe just a little bit, even you guys, to say what God can do if I just sell out for God. And to my brothers in Christ who uh, you're, not the, um, you're not the target audience, I want to say um, from the bottom of my heart, get over it. <laughs> okay? Brothers... Get over it. We've been the targeted audience for 10,000 years. That's enough time. Yeah? Okay. Well, for 30 minutes, we can be put on the back burner for now. Um, I'll just give you one example. One example. N.T. Wright, a great... Uh, um, he's alive today. He's a great New Testament scholar. He has the same question for St. Paul that I do. Um, so, when Jesus rose from the dead, who was the first to see him? A woman. Got it? Who was the first to uh, tell everybody else about him? Ooh, ooh. Teacher, pick me, I know. A woman. Okay, so fast forward 20 years, uh, and uh, St. Paul's writing 1 Corinthians 15, and what does he say? He says, um, I received, which is very important, which I gave to you, which, which is Christ uh, was alive, he died, he rose from the dead on the third day, and he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. What happened to the ladies, God? The ladies? Now, James has gone through this point before because back then the testimony of a woman wasn't really that strong. It wasn't allowed in court. And so, so I think, we think, and the scholars think maybe he just, because he was speaking to people, even the women back then. You know, we all have our own blind spots, um, but we also have our social blind spots, right? I mean, 150 years ago, slavery was okay. How, did, how could that be, right? But you grew up in that society and you thought it was probably okay, and we look back on it. How could that be? So looking back on that, I think, how could that be that they thought that? As a matter of fact, um, the two disciples on the road to um, Emmaus, some scholars think it was a couple. Because they didn't say it was men. And they wouldn't say it was a couple. And so if you had the first woman in the morning, because that happened that night, see him, and then another woman involved in the night story, the story might have not been taken well, right? Because of the societal blind spots we had back then. Does that make sense? We get across to you? Okay. I'm setting the stage here. I'm getting to this lady. But first, let me go through some other famous ladies. Now, you know some of them, right? You know Mary. Um, if you want a great prayer, go to Luke when the, when the angel Gabriel tells her about her being pregnant by the, by the Holy Spirit. She has a short little prayer that many people for years have said, Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. Whatever you're going through, let it be unto me according to your word. Mary Magdalene, they called her the apostle to the apostles. Um, I threw in St. Bridget there because she's Irish, and I have an Irish wife and all these Irish people. So I've got to, I've got to put something in for the Irish. Dan, there you go, brother. Um, listen, Julian of Norwich and Teresa of Avilia. You probably never heard of these ladies. Go Google. They're saints because everybody back then was in the Catholic Church, so they became saints, right? So they were different than... than the lady I'm going to speak about. Go Google their quotes. Go look into their lives. 
Teresa of Avilio changed your life when you read about what she did and who she was. Uh, Joan of Arc, it's interesting about Joan of Arc, um, and I'm going to talk about her in a minute, because she kind of lays the groundwork in France for the lady that I'm going to be speaking about. Um, St. Clair of Assisi. Everybody knows Pope Francis, right? He's the first one to take the name Francis from Francis of Assisi. Do you know Claire was his first convert and just as important as he was to that movement? You can look it up. I'm going to say this a lot. You can look it up. She was just as important to his movement. The two great men over the years that I think, outside of St. Paul afterwards, have been Augustine, who was a brilliant scholar, and Francis and Claire, who probably were not as brilliant. Let's put it that way. But they renounced the world, and they changed the world. Just one little tidbit about it. When St. Francis was coming on the scene, you know, it was, you know, it had just came into the public, which was invented, the mechanical clock. And he renounced that because it was going to change everything. Now you're going to have to be there exactly. 4.30, what, what could just be there on the third watch? And everything changed. So you think everything doesn't change for you? It does change. And people fight those kind of things going forward. Um, Anne Hutchinson. Um, I don't like Anne Hutchinson because I've always got stuck on the Hutchinson Parkway. Uh, <laughs> driving from Connecticut, you know, the merit becomes the Hutchinson. And I said, Anne, why couldn't you build four lanes instead of two lanes? But Anne didn't build it. Look up Anne Hutchinson. She was pre, she was a revolution, after the revolution, maybe even before, before. She was well before that. She came over into New World. Look up Anne Hutchinson. I mean, there's so many ladies. And Catherine Booth, James talked about the Salvation Army and General Booth. Just as, again, just as instrumental in the Salvation Army was this lady. But you don't read about it. Go back and read the papers. Go back and what people said about them. She actually, I think that's right, he had some physical problems and she really ran it. I mean, she really brought it to another level. So all these things that you don't know about, um, that these women in history have been instrumental in the church. So here's my subject of today. Madame Guillaume, or Jean Marie, as her friends would call her. Okay, quiz time. Um, Now, some of you I spoke to this week about it. But before this week... How many of you heard her name? You want to take a look around past this? No, you know, maybe 10, maybe 10%. Um, she was born in France in, in 1648 and died in 1717. Now, Pastor James talked about some great men in history, especially Jonathan Edwards and the crew that was around, and they were great open-air orators, and they, were, they talked to crowds. Uh, Madame Guyon didn't do that. She was part of the quietest movement, which I'll get into for one minute. But the world beat a path to her door. I'll tell you at the end again. But the new world was just opening up back then, right? So it wasn't like you got in a plane in Paris in business class and flew to New York in eight hours, you know, and had some cocktails and stuff. It was a three-month trip sometimes in the bad weather. And those people who were in the new world came back to hear her. They wanted to be in the same place where she was. They had to beat with her. Pastor Linda talked about, I forget what the context was, but you said you, you get in the room with somebody who you know is a Christian and they really have, and you say, I don't know what it is, but I want that, right? I want that. That's what she was. Everybody wanted that. King Louis XIV, Pope Innocent XII, everybody wanted what she wanted, but they wanted it on their own terms. So it was a very difficult life for her. So I'm going to give you some background of where she was, where we are, like you said, some panorama of history. Um, I bet you don't know the Italian guy on top either. Good, because that's hard for me to pronounce his name. And I'm Italian. Guillermo Savonarola. He was, 
a very big influence on Martin Luther. He was really the first one that opened the Bible and said, wait a minute, salvation by faith, guys. We got this wrong. Mm -hmm. He was also a prophet. He said, the Pope's going to die this year. The, the head of the Medici, fa Medici family was going to die. The Medici family, they controlled Florence. You know, the Italians, I, you know, I'm an Italian, so I'm going to say this. C corporations today have equity, which is stock, and have bonds. These guys started bonds. You know why? Because they had to finance their wars between the city-states. It's always, Italians are always taking money from one guy to have another guy kill that guy. They've been doing it for centuries. It just kind of annoys me. But anyway, so he's walking in Florence. Florence is a cesspool, right? He's walking around, and this guy has open-air meetings. This is, how, this is how amazing the Italian was. He, they had troubadours walking the streets and singing. They were the vilest, worst songs, sort of like maybe the music today. And they had gangs. It was a very difficult city. By the time he was done preaching and changing people's lives, the troubadours were singing hymns. The gangs were walking around reciting psalms. He completely changed northern Italy. So he was, he was affected Martin Luther, which we all know, and I'm going to leave him that because maybe we talk about Martin Luther later. But he was a great influence on Martin Luther. By the way, uh, our Italian friend was burned at the stake. That's going to be a theme going through here. <laughs> um, so you have these people. Okay, now it's the middle. It's, you know, um, we went through history with Pestilinda. So 500 Rome Falls. To the 1400s is what we call the Middle Ages. And now we're in the Renaissance period between the 14 and 1700s. So Martin Luther breaks open the Protestant Reformation, right? Uh, the Catholics, uh, because the popes in Italy are pushing back. There's no, there's no Protestant Reformation. And then this lady comes on the scene, and Ma Madame Guyon. What our Italian friend was in Italy, she was to France. Look at the people that wrote about her later in life. John Wesley, Hudson Taylor, Andrew Murray, Watchman Nee, Archbishop Fenelon, who was her contemporary. She transformed the men, not only in her time period, but afterwards with her writings. I bring up Joan of Arc again, because what was interesting about Joan of Arc, she was 200 years before that. Joan of Arc was also a prophetess, right? But she was telling the king the outcome of, of uh, battles while they were happening. Because the, the horsemen who took three days to get there would tell him the same thing by the time he got there. Now, what she said was very interesting. Joan of Arc would say, I heard, I literally heard God speak to me, which at first I thought she was crazy, but then they realized she was hearing him. So for Madame Guyon to come on the scene a couple hundred years later, she was only born about 20 miles away. In that area of France, for a woman to say, I heard God speak to me. Now, Madame Guyon didn't say literally, but God spoke to me. It wasn't that unusual. Okay, so Joan, God always lays the groundwork for something else. Now, back then, remember, now, if you're growing up in the Catholic Church today, remember back then it was kind of similar. You weren't supposed to talk to God. I mean, you could pray these prayers, but they were going to the priest talk to you. They were your, back then especially, they were your conduit to God. You weren't supposed to read or pray. You only had to pray with them. But Madame Guyard changed the world with this. She had a couple of books, and I left some off. She wrote about 20 books. Whilst I can get into it. But the short and easy method of prayer, I'll get into how it completely changed the world. So, what I'm going to do is, is going to go broad strokes for a few minutes about what she did and what she accomplished. And then for five minutes, I'm going to go into some real detail about her life. Just so you know she wasn't anybody special. Just so you know she was a regular person. Again, a little bit more context. She was a center of quietism movement, which along with the charismatic movement, circa 1970, were probably the two of the greatest spiritual movements which originated within the church. 
and stayed within the church because the Protestant movement, Martin Luther, blew outside the church. Martin Luther didn't want to leave the church, but he had to, right? Think about this. The, the charismatic movement, if those of us who were in it, was loud and we were singing and it was happy. The Holy Spirit was moving. People were speaking in tongues and it was a different world than today. I could go into work back then and talk about my Sunday service all day long. Nobody, everybody was interested. I go in there today, they're like, what? That's how you waste your Sunday mornings? The world, the landscape's changed, right? So don't be fooled. God can move. Let's, we'll pray that he'll move. And, and the quietest movement was actually just the opposite. Now, it's, it's a little bit outside the box. And um, honestly, if you want to know more about it, ask Pastor Linda because I, it, it was a bit, as any movement was, a lot of people talked against it. But it was quite the opposite. It was the opposite of the character. It was in room. It was quiet. It was meditating. It was being, bringing God and you together inside. It was, uh, she really was different. So, think about this. The two of the biggest movements in the Catholic Church. The, here's how the charismatic movement start. It starts with Pope John Paul XXIII, who opens the windows at Vatican II and says, Brothers, let's let the Holy Spirit in, his famous quote. A few years later, four nuns in, in Notre Dame, take Notre Dame out in the north, take them up on it. And they pray, I can't remember, it was months or years until the Spirit hit them. And they started speaking in tongues. So, brothers and sisters, the two biggest... Now, Quietus Movement may have taken off, but it wouldn't have been what it was without Madame Dion. So two of the biggest movements in the Catholic Church, or in all of Christendom, were started by really women. Did you know that? You can look it up. John Wesley said of her, How few such instances do we find of exalted love to God and our neighbor, of genuine humility, of invincible meekness, and unbounded determination? John Wesley. John, I know I'm going to go. I know it's, it's been a long day of words. But let me just say one thing about John Wesley. God used, this is why we're talking like this, uh, the pastors, and they, they allow me to do this. Because we hear, uh, Pastor Linton, you, know, you read the gospel over and over, and you know what the next word is before it's coming, right? And sometimes when other people say it, it's different. And um, John Wesley, as Tim Keller would say, he was called a Methodist. It wasn't a very nice thing to say about those people. Because they were up at four, they did this, they did this. It was like this method. And they were like kind of stuck-up religious people. And you know how he got converted? You know how he changed his life? It wasn't the scriptures. It, was, it, was, it wasn't even Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. It was Martin Luther's prelude to the commentary. On, he read it, and he realized he needed the Spirit of God, and his ministry changed. Because one brother was writing something else, that he had probably read many times in scriptures, but it just came at a different angle. And that's why we want to talk to you about what are people writing that's different. Um, th- because, it, because we know the scriptures. You know, we, we read the scriptures all the time and it becomes like a booster shot because I'm reading John 20 today. I know it was a resurrection. I know. You know what I mean? It doesn't hit you like it should. Or it doesn't hit me anyway. Okay, so here's some broad um, strokes about what happened to her. Okay, here's strike one. The church opposed the teachings and warned her that it was the business of priests to pray, not women. And certainly not in the way she prayed, with intimacy and in her heart. Strike two. Her popular movement was attracting many to a spiritual path that did not need the mediation of priests and bishops. Uh-oh. So I can go right to God? I don't need you guys? Let's, I'll just skip past another one about a popular movement. She was popular in all parts of society. Uh, strike three is here. Sets up trust for her children. She came into a little money. I'll explain that. And gave very little money to the church. Setting up hospitals and orphanages and houses for wayward women. 
and the church persecuted the faith. What are you doing wasting your money on orphanages and churches and houses for women? I need a bigger uh, Monet, and not Monet back then, but I need a bigger Rembrandt in my, in my Narthex. What are you wasting your money like that for? Honestly, that's what the conversations they had with her. Isn't it amazing? Publicly, being a publicly active, famous single woman, she was a widow. She broke many social norms of her time. She was very outspoken. They wanted the church and her friends wanted her to be quiet. And she said, I cannot be quiet. God is telling me what to do. He's telling me what to say. Like Augustine Calvin and Martin Luther before her, they all preached salvation by grace. Inside the church and outside the church. So let me get a little bit more specific about her life now. And um, it's, it's, it's going to take me about an hour and a half to get. No, I'm just kidding. You got places to go. I got a plane to catch. We all got to do something. She was born in 1648 um, into a blended family. Isn't that interesting? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, both her mother and father were previously married. Um, they were both widow and widower back then. Um, she was born premature. They expected her to die. Her mother, so she, the, so she had brothers and sisters on both sides, you know, half brothers and half sisters. And the mother, you would think being the last one in the family, they'd be the, right, Louisa? They'd, they'd be the one everybody... But she was kind of left, she was the tail. They didn't really, the mother didn't like her that much, she says as she grows up. There was family tensions. The father came from royalty and he had some sainthood in his, in his bloodline. She was aristocrat also, but not like him. So there was kind of tensions as they, as they got married. Um, she had older brothers and sisters on her mother's side that beat her. And physically, uh, you know, beat her, abused her, made fun of her. But she had an older sister on her father's side who later would become a nun, who taught her how to pray and taught her everything. So, uh, but the parents were religious. They were religious people. Um, they were very good. They wanted to be pious. They didn't like King Louis XIV's, you know, opulent and decadent lifestyle. And you couldn't say that out loud back then, right? So they were kind of quiet. But So from the time she's three, she gets better, to the time she's about 12, um, they bounce her back and forth. Convents, monasteries, she's going back. She doesn't have the greatest childhood. Um, but in one monastery, she finds a Bible when she's eight or nine, she says, and she reads it all the way through. She can't count how many times she did. And it started ticking in her that something was going on. Um, at 11, she wants to be a nun. At 12, she comes home. And guess what? She's 12 going on 17. She's become this beautiful woman. All of a sudden, mommy likes her. Puts her best clothes on, plus the rubies and the diamonds that the family has. And she goes out and has a debutante ball. She's part of society. She writes later in life that this is my vain, this is my vain and worldly years. Um, she really kind of hates it on the inside, but she's enjoying it as a young lady. So she's, she's 12, she's 13, she's 14. You get married very young back then. All kinds of offers come pouring in to marry her. And the father says, no, no, no. She won't be a nun, but she's not going to get married to you. One day, her dad sits down and says, uh, could you just sign these papers, please? Sure, Dad, right? Even today, if, I mean, when I were growing up, if Dad said to me when I was 15, could you sign these papers? Sure, what is it? I'll sign it. And he said, oh, by the way, um, this Saturday you go measure your wedding dress because you're getting married at 15. To a guy who was 38. This guy, guys, I'm getting to the spiritual part. I just want to get you through her life, right? was extremely rich. He, he um, built the canals for King, uh, Lu, uh, King Louis XIV, which is very important back then. You, know, you didn't have roads, you didn't have trucks. You had to move troops. You had to move crops through canals. And he did sort of like uh, Trump had did before he was president in New York. Everything he did was under budget and, and, and sooner, right? 
And that's what he did for the king. So the king, you know, he had all this money. He's like, yeah, it's a million, it's six million, take it all. I don't care. The guy was extremely rich and extremely popular. And he marries her. She was the catch of the year. It was the wedding of the year. But um, it wasn't a good point in her life because, um, again, the problem, her mother-in-law hates her because if he dies, she gets all the money, right? They live in the same castle. There's a brother-in-law that hates her too. She wasn't going through a good time in life. Um, and she says, I start praying and going back to God at that point. I started really coming back to him. They, they don't like her being religious, so she starts a practice that she would do for the rest of her life. She gets up at 4 a.m. in the morning, so they don't know she's praying because they didn't like it. Suffering for her becomes a theme. So she's married at 15. At 20, the half-sister that she loves, who is a nun, dies, and her, then her mother dies. At 24, her first daughter dies, and her, daughter, and her father dies within days. At 26, smallpox comes in, kills another daughter, and mocks her for life, even though she's still a pretty woman. Terrible years she's living through. At 28, her husband dies. She's a rich, right, pregnant widow. But she's hearing from God. She's talking to God. And once again, the marriage proposals come pouring in. Um, She would never actually marry again or come close to marrying again. She has first of two life-changing experiences by talking to uh, friars and monks. You know, um, you know the difference between a friar and a monk? A monk is somebody who goes away from society and says, I'm going up to that mountain, I'm not coming back, I'm away from society. The friars kind of split the difference. They went to the edge of town, lived there, moved into society and back in and out. But basically their life was solitary like the monks. So these friars would, were very popular back then because people looked at them a little bit higher than priests. And so she meets this this, this um Fry Egerin, and he, she's just crying about her dry and unhappy prayer life, and nothing's working. She's trying to be religious. And basically what he says to her is, because you've been seeking without what was really within, accustom yourself to seeking God in your heart, and you will find him there. It completely changes her life. She later pens later in life, those words put into my heart what I was seeking for so many years, or rather that made me discover what was already there, but I just didn't know it. She immediately develops a compassion for suffering and humanity. Um, she's, this is when she gets started doing the hospitals and the orphanage and the wayward. She really gets involved in it, not only in France, but outside of France, besides setting up a uh, uh, trust for her children, which you could do back then. So she's living quietly for a couple of years. She's writing, she's reading, she's doing things. She's really influencing people around her. But um, in, 16, in 1685, she's 37, she writes that book, um, a simple and easy method of prayer. It really wasn't a book. Go to YouTube. Type in Madame Beyond, a simple and easy method of prayer. It's about two hours. It's not that long. And, and you can read even her preface. Her preface is, it wasn't a book. It was a long letter to some friends. And her friend says, your method of prayer is changing my life. You've got to put it in the book. She publishes a book. It becomes a New York Times bestseller. And if you could rate it today, it probably stayed there for five or ten years. I mean, it was, everybody wanted to have it. The Pope, the King, the lowest people. It was wildly popular. She becomes very, she becomes a popular sensation overnight between France and beyond. She is changing lives, not by going out and speaking to people, but by simply, like Tolstoy, just writing and letting it go out. Right? There's different ways God has changed, gets us. So she becomes the big thing in France. The problem is, 
our friends in the church back then don't like it. And they start this whisper campaign against her. So she gets up and moves to France for a couple of years. Uh, she's in Geneva. She's making friends. She's writing books. She writes another book called The Song of the Bride. It was called The Song of Songs. It was a commentary on the book of Song of Solomon, which was scandalous to read about that back then, right? And she was talking about it. So it was another wildly popular book. So not only was she really rich, now she's very rich. And she can do what she wants for her money, and everybody's knocking on her door. But she's really just going out. She's going out, and she's doing what she wants to do. I, the only way I can explain it is she's like a combination of Lady Diana and Mother Teresa. She's still beautiful. She's not 40. But she goes into the vilest places in France and Paris and Germany and Italy. And nobody touches her because they know who she is. She dresses nice. She's Madame Guyon. But she has power. People sit down and talk with her. They walk away and say, my life has changed. I know Christ. I, 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 I get it. I get it. I don't know. I don't know that, you know, I don't. In here, I don't know, but down here, I know that I know that I've been changed. And she changes people by the dozens and triple, and then by the thousands when reading her book. Um, she she um, comes back to France, immediately arrested. Immediately arrested. Put in jail, in a castle, in a small room, um, and they charge you with heresy, which is a crime back then, right? Just, right? The church and the state. Now you know why the founding fathers didn't want the church and the state together. Right? Because the church and the state got together against her. Right? And they weren't, I think we've misconstrued the Constitution because it wasn't, now we have like, I don't know, 275 different denominations. It's not that they can't, shouldn't be able to preach in school, but what they were saying is, the founding fathers was, we didn't want what happened to her to happen to everybody. The one church and the one state got together and tried to crush her. So they put her in this castle. They put her in a small room, no ventilation, no windows, no news from the outside world. They watched her day and night. They, basically, you'd call it sleep deprivation today, besides some, besides some of the nuns smacking around. I mean, they really treated her terribly. And she didn't say, not her whole life, say one bad word about these people. Nine months go by, and they say, you know what? I just can't. I, 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 there's nothing I can do. This lady is... is, is, is Innocent. We can't find any heresy. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping something here. I want to go back to the book she wrote, what somebody wrote about it. Readers immediately saw how Jean's writing demonstrated a deep understanding of the human soul involved in the struggle of life. Unlike most of the spiritual writings of those days, which was mostly penned by priests and bishops, who showed less ability to relate to difficult human struggles. She had absorbed the teachings of great theologians before her and distilled them into a way for the everyday French man and French woman. She made it come to life to a lot of people. So she comes out of jail. And then she meets Archbishop Fenelon. Archbishop Fenelon was also a born-again archbishop, we would say. But he was very popular with the king and the court. You know, he knew how to play the political games a little bit better, right? He was the teacher to the king's children. He was the spiritual, um, the spiritual supervisor, the spiritual director of many in the, in the, in the king's court. He was well-known and well-respected. Um, so somebody got them to get together and just talk. And this relationship would stay f- for, the, for the rest of their lives. What happened when they got together was an explosion. They, again, I, it's hard to put into words here, but um, they really took over France. Everything they said was in the papers or the pamphlets back then, back day. All of a sudden, she was in. She would go speak to the king. She would go speak to the king's third wife. I don't know if they called her the queen, but Madame Mathion. And here's something very interesting. Like, 
they had an invitation-only prayer meeting. The Queen, Madame Guyon, and Archbishop Fenelon. And they just put out invitations to whoever they wanted to that Saturday night or whenever it was. And if you got that, it was like you won the lottery. I mean, you go into the bakery and say, oh, I've got to invite to the, to the prayer meeting. Senor, it's not senor. Sir, sit down. Have a, whatever you want is mine. I mean, you were in. They were controlling France. The Pope was having problems pushing off Protestantism. The king in France was worried about they were going to come because she's talking about salvation by faith. So was Archbishop Fenelon. What do we got to do with these two? They had revolutionized the world. People were being saved on a daily basis, like the charismatic movement we were going through. It just wasn't a big deal. You know, your family wasn't saved last week. Oh, they were saved this week. Don't worry about it. They'll be saved next week. Everybody's getting saved. It was rolling. The spirit, was, it was the charismatic movement being quiet, right? Rolling through France. And there was panic in, in, in the Vatican. And there was panic in, in Marseille. Um, because what was going on? Uh, again, I'd like to compare them to, I, I just want to get this across to you. Um, uh, like Hes, uh, Catherine Hepburn and, Tra- and Spencer Tracy. They were Hepburn and Tracy. They were Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth in the same lineup. I was at a net game a few years back when the nets were good, by the way. And if you remember, Prince William and Kate came over for a tour. And that night, I happened to have tickets to the game. It was Jay-Z and Beyonce were them, and they sat next to them at courtside with Kate, uh, Prince William and Kate. It was the ticket to get. That's the only way I can explain it to, to you today, who they were. My daughter, who works in Boston, said, Dad, I am flying down to New York that night, flying back at midnight, because I just want to be in the same building and breathe the same air as them. I don't know what the British, I don't know what the British have over you young ladies. They just seem to, I think, but that's what it was like. People just wanted to be in the same room with her. She was changing life. You know, it wasn't the words either. They got next to her and they felt like, right, when, when Jesus was walking somewhere, right, she was Jesus. She would walk in the room and people would automatically say, I, I just feel different. It was, I mean, she'd speak. You know, it's like the Scottish uh, um, revival. Sailors on ships were coming into port. They had no idea what was going on in that port. And they were getting down and being saved because the spirit was really moving. So I just, it's hard for you to do. I just, I don't want to stay on that point. But um, God was really moving in France in that part of the, at that time. So guess what? The church and the Pope get together and they're thinking, well, there's another Martin Luther coming. We've got to do something again. Um, so they start a whisper campaign. They realize the queen is a little bit jealous because she adores Archbishop Fenelon, but Archbishop Fenelon adores Madame Guyon, not in a, but it's very platonic. And so they start this whisper campaign, turns the queen's heart, turns the king's heart. Guess where she goes? Back to jail. She's 45 years old. Ten years. Ten years in jail. The last three, the last three in the Bastille, which is where the political prisoners went. Do you see the Count of Monte Cristo when he went to the Chateau d'If? Same thing. You were forgotten when you went there. But there was a lot of public pressure. It couldn't be too much public pressure to try to get her out. But she kept writing books. Up until those last three years, they were sending her stuff. People, would, She'd be writing. And still, they couldn't stop her. You know, the music is going, stop the music. They couldn't stop her. God's word was getting out through her. Her words were just annoying. Every book she wrote, every pamphlet she did was changing lives, and they didn't know what to do. Finally, they gave up, and they released her. Having searched through her writings relentlessly, they found 
that she has no evidence of, of heresy. She had been cleared of all charges and was found guilty of nothing. Sick from the horrific conditions, Gian was put on a stretcher and carried to her daughter's house. When asked about how she endured so much, Gian talked about her relationship with God. Are you kidding? As for the bad treatment, I feel the need to sacrifice and sanctify this by a profound holy silence. I'd have a lawsuit against you guys in a minute if you did that to me. Right? She, she didn't even want to talk about it. She said, I forgive those who have been the cause of my suffering from the bottom of my heart. Whatever they have done against me, having no will to retain so much as to remember any of it. Wow. What a spirit of forgiveness. Unbelievable. So she gets out of jail and she continues to write. In the meantime, they had asked Archbishop Fenelon to write a, a letter saying that she did commit heresy. He said no. He was basically banished to some, some small town in northern France and lived there the rest of his life and communicated with her for the rest of their lives together. And they never met after that. But during the final stage of her life, her ministry then flourishes again, what they say, beyond expectations. She's now popular throughout the world, as they knew it back then, due to her published writings and the controversies surrounding her. People from all over Europe, the new world, come back, seeking her wisdom and advice. Many from England, in particular, wanted to talk to the famous Madame Guyon, who had struggled with the powers of Louis XIV, the court of Versailles, and Pope Innocent XII. They put her in jail. They burned her books. And they tried to do away with her. At the end of her life, uh, one of the last things she would write would be, believe love and follow God through a total annihilation, right? Die to self, go through the cross with its smallness and nothingness. Do not cling to anything and you will be fine. God alone, God alone, God alone. Let me just get back to some broader stripes about her. Um, Where am I? I went backwards, no? Here's some quotes from Adam Guyon. But the misfortune is that the people who wish to direct God instead of resigning themselves to being directed by God. Right? It's okay to talk to God. Because as James said last week from Luke 18, knock on the door, ask, seek, right? But I, honestly, I felt just some years back in my life, God said to me, uh, Ted, could you just kind of be quiet and let me talk to you back? Because it's kind of a, kind of a conversation here. And I was like, oh, really? But can I control you, God? Can I ask you to do this, do this, do this, do this? Here's my list, God. Right? We, it's it's kind of like God's not in control. I still want to be in control. And that's what Madame Dion gives. She, she gave up all that. Um, I'll go down to the last point. Um, she says, I was poor in the midst of riches and ready to perish with a hunger near a table plentiful spread with continual feast. O beauty so ancient and new, why have I known thee so late? Unless I sought thee where thou was not and did not seek thee where thou was. Many, including Augustine, wrote words like this. Many of the saints saying, all my life I searched there and you were here. All my life I searched there on Sunday morning. I mean, you should come to Sunday morning, right? And you could, should go to Wednesday because you're with the community and you can see God in there. But if you're searching on the outward, see, when the, when the church split and the east and west split, the Eastern Orthodox, they went inward. The Catholic Church went outward. Saints, right? Pictures, people to talk to. There was a, they, they had disconnected you with God back then. And so she was saying, Madame God was saying, 
you can go directly to him. Which was like an atom, a nuclear explosion back, especially coming from a woman, especially from a single woman. Many notable Christians had, uh, I'm getting to the end. I have an epilogue here. Um, listen, a bit out of the box today. She's a bit out of the box, Madame Guyon, right? She's a bit, uh, as James would say, a lot of these Christians who you know, you, the more you read about it, they were kind of peculiar people. They weren't perfect. And so she, I just wanted to tell you, uh, no, why I'm going to share this, but she had some stages in her life. Probably after she met the first friar, she says, the first stage she attains, seven years, the presence of God tangible and real every day. Prayer becomes easy. In prayer, she says, she attaches to her Savior in what she calls the union of the powers. It's Christmas every day. I mean, I've been on men's retreats in churches, and I was like high on God for a couple of days, but by Thursday, I was kind of knocked down by the world. She's like high on God for seven years. That's the good news. Here comes the bad news. Succeeded by a second state, which also lasted seven years. How do you like that? Like the cows and Pharaoh, like the cows and the Pharaoh in Egypt. Which she loses a sense of God's grace and favor. She has no taste for anything spiritual, is powerless to act, and afraid of her own sinfulness. This is the state which she called mystical death. John of the Cross called it the, the, the dark night of the soul. And many of us Christians will have to go through that if it's for a minute or an hour or for a day or a week or for seven years. Because, saints, if you're not going from life to death, you're not have resurrected life. Right? You could sit and have great Christian life all your, all your life and come to meetings and feel joy. But if you don't go through that period, it doesn't have to be seven years, but go back to what Tozer said. If he's engineering stuff in your life where life just kind of stinks, it's because he wants you to be more Christ-like. And she gave thanks for that. So after the 14-year period passes, she says she's reawakened and transformed into a state of resurrection and new life. Where the first state she possessed God, in her last state she's possessed by God. Hey, saints, we're all going to be possessed by a spirit. Why don't we get possessed by the Holy Spirit? Right? Let's get the Holy Spirit inside her like she did. In the last, um, then God is united with her soul, but now she says she's united with him in substance, which I honestly don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that she would write that we may not understand. This is what they say. In her hands, she says, it is he who, who acts in her. She becomes like a simple instrument in his hands. She writes remarkable things without preparation or reflection. She wrote some of her books and commentaries and just sat down and started writing them. Her own activity disappears to be replaced by the action of God which moves her and she now enters into an apostolic state. It sounds like Jesus, right? I only see what my father tells me to do. Kind of sounds right. It's the gospel rewritten by somebody else. It's like Paul in Galatians. I don't live anymore. It's the life, but the now the life that I do live, I live... By the faith in the Son of God. This lady had gone from life to resurrection, to death to resurrection. And I think that's where the pastors are trying to lead us as a church by getting us all involved in the apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And just, just being involved and hearing what's going on, not just by the word, but by historical people to see, you know what? I want that. I, I'm telling you, I, I read about Madame Guyon and I felt like I really got to know her. And I said to myself, I want that. And that's what I, that's my prayer for you. That's what I'm going to be praying for you for the rest of this year on my prayer list when I kind of control God in the morning. I want that for me and I want that for you. I want that for this church. Right? Madam God turned the world upside down. Some of the younger ladies here, you can change the world. 
If you let God totally love you, and men, I'm just saying, but my target audience, guys, right? Sorry. You can change the world. I'm looking at some of these ladies. You can change the world if you let God love you totally and totally love God. One woman, and it was worse for a woman back then than it is today, right? I mean, you just, women were just not allowed to do anything back then. Uh, this is one of my favorite scriptures, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that he made conformable unto his death, that by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. You know what? Honest, honest, honest to God. These were just words to me until I read Madame Guion. Because I read somebody who I felt like I know and has walked through this. It's the whole picture of her life, so it's easy to look back on 2020. But she got there. She attained it. Now, some of the mystics would tell you, you've already attained it. You just don't know it yet. That's your problem. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Um, I want to end before Pastor Linder uh, talks about the table by reading. Um, she wrote poetry, too. She wrote poetry in jail. Right? Paul writes uh, letters. She writes poetry. A little bird I am, shut from the fields of air. And in my cage I sit and sing to him who placed me there. Well, please the prisoner to be, because my God, it pleases thee. My cage confines me round, abroad I cannot fly. But though my wing is closely bound, my soul is at liberty. For prison walls cannot control the flight, the freedom of my soul. I learn to love the darkness of sorrow. There you see the brightness of his face. On a gray day like today, where you don't feel like you're with it, or you're in it, or you're saved, may you see the brightness of his face. May you see God move in your life. May you open up yourselves. Listen, Madame Gion wasn't, you know, till she was 28 or 30, she wasn't anything to write home about. I'm not sure if she was saved. I mean, she probably was, but I just, she just wasn't, she was going back and forth, right, from the world. And, and somehow, some way, words from other people, besides the Bible, because you couldn't have the Bible every day back then, um, changed her life. And may the, the, maybe it's not Madame Guyon for you today or, or uh, Augustine or whoever we spoke to, but of, along the way, if we, um, if we just open ourselves up to hear what, some, what Pastor James has to say and maybe Pastor Linda about other historical people, to understand that, uh, saints, we can change the world. And it says that. It's such a big scoping thing. You can hardly get it in. But... If we can just open ourselves, I can't even tell you how to do it, right? Go read Madame Guyon's uh, book on, on the easy and simple method of prayer. It's a little tough to read because it's, you know, it's, it's translated from French into English. It's a little tough. Um, but just let those words sink into you. And maybe every once in a while you catch a sentence that really speaks to you. Um, so, women, uh, congratulations on your international day. Um, I hope that maybe in a little way... I've inspired some of you. Take a look at some of the other sisters that are on that list. I mean, you can get it in the PowerPoint during the week. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.